Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Front Porch Political Talk Show with your host, Hatton Humphrey bringing you thoughtful comments on the news of the day, as well as lessons from the past and insights into things to come. We offer our comments and invite you to add your own. Good evening, everyone. It is Sunday, July 5th, 2015. A belated happy birthday, America. This is Front Porch Talk Political Show. My name is Hatton Humphrey, and I thank everyone for listening in. Our show is produced through TalkShoe, which provides two ways to be a part of the call. You can dial in, area code 724-444-7444, TalkCast ID is 75570. You can also join us on the web-based chat, text chat at TalkShoe.com slash TC slash 75570. We also stream the recording session into Second Life, uh, into the audio stream there. Um, please don't use voice if you want to jump in. Just type your comments there. Um, I can't hear voice because, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's uh, all I can do to have one source of audio in my ear. So if you are listening on Red State Talk Radio on either Studio A or Studio B via Stitcher.com on your favorite podcast player or on the website at frontporchtalk.net, you can send comments to conservativepodcast at gmail.com. Post them on the Facebook page. Send them to us via Twitter at ECConservative. Rattling through that because we missed last weekend, and there's a lot to talk about. However, Thomas Face, I have to say, I have to throw this out right now. Tonight's episode is expected outcomes. It's number 24. Because I can't help but marvel at the fact that people are actually surprised at what is going on right now. And not just from the Supreme Court but from the administration, from the Justice Department, from the Labor Department, from the Department of Education, from the, from the State Department. I cannot, I, it, it boggles my mind that people are actually surprised, and here's why. A, a lot of the things that are coming to fruition right now are things that were promised on a campaign trail in 2007. Now, they may not have been what the media actually played as campaign promises, but they are things that were promised in 2007. Now, my wife points out that there's a lot of times when people don't follow through on their campaign promises, but that's when they have to run for re-election again. And as President Obama very plainly stated in his final State of the Union address, I'm not running for re-election. I'm sorry, it's not as... I, yeah, no, it's not his final real uh, State of the Union address. But in the 2015 State of the Union, he said, I'm not running for re-election. So guess what? He's going to push every campaign promise through that he can. 
why are we surprised? These are expected <clears throat> which, outcomes. Which is not a long list of no. things that he can get done. No, but he's doing what he can. True. Use, using either that phone and a pen or the appointees that he's made or whatever skeletons and whatever closet he has on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Get to get things pushed through. And tonight we're going to talk about those things. Now, I know that we had um I, I know that in the absence of this show last weekend there was um there was an episode in Second Life of uh Joseph's show, the Pen Pendu podcast. Um I'll link to that show in in the um in the episode post for for tonight, so in case anybody wants to listen to that. Um but I wanted to throw in my my own take on the Supreme Court ruling on same sex marriage. And it's this a big part of it was not a win for couples. A big part of it was not a win for love. And in all and in all honesty, there are certain circumstances and we've had that conversation where, you know, there needs to be the ability for that civil union. But I look at this as a win for trial attorneys that are going to make a killing off of people specifically attacking specific businesses. Who bake cakes. Maybe not not even bake cakes. Bake cakes, take pictures, um, host um, events. Well, we, we do actually have a specific case of baking cakes. A court has ruled that I don't know if it was the one that was in the in the news, but a court has ruled that a particular cake shop has to pay $135,000 to a gay couple that they refused to make a cake for. Right. That was the, that was the bakery in Oregon. Exhibit A. That's Exhibit A. Um, there were ones, I believe, in there – was, there was one – I can't remember if it was Indiana or what, maybe it was one of the other states – um that that has another bakery new york state has a um has a case i think it's still pending uh of a couple that runs a christian retreat that refused to host a same sex wedding um but because they're not affiliated with a the church they were forced to uh they they basically were were brought to court for it um you know these kinds of calculated attacks, and I'm not saying if you run a Christian business, you have to fear these people coming into your building. Um, but if you've made somebody mad, and you run a Christian business that specifically caters to the wedding or uh, celebration uh, industry, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't get. A visit by somebody with a recorder, with a recorder, or an attorney on the phone. That is what this. Um, that is what this ruling has brought out, and I also see some 
retribution cases coming in the future. Um, there have been another number of instances where people have gone to uh, bakeries run by homosexuals that recorded themselves going in asking for, in this case, it was a cake that said, gay marriage is wrong. And this was in direct counterance to uh, as somebody who went in, not even a wedding, somebody celebrating same-sex marriage, asking for support gay marriage on a cake. So this guy went to 13 bakeries run by homosexuals and was turned down rudely and violently by each of them. Somebody even offered to make him a phallic cake or phallic cookie. Um, so I see some of that going on. And honestly, it's going to be tough to rule on that uh, on the alter, on the opposite cases because what happens to equal protection under the law? And and honestly, that's the angle that needs to be taken at least a little bit in this. Um, I speculate within the next five years you're going to have a case brought to the Supreme Court by one of these bakers who's being sued by a gay couple, and the court is going to rule that the First Amendment rights of the cake owner, the shop owner, trumps what's going on now. So I think well, in no, hindsight, you're going to get retribution, and the courts will announce, listen, we will let let the, the, the bakers bake for whoever they want. Most states in the union do have a uh, laws on the book where you can, you can refuse service to anyone for any reason as long as it's not a violation of Title VII. And until gay marriage is covered under Title VII, which it may be within the next few years, I don't see how these people will be forced to do anything. Okay. Well, I've we've got um, – NSM Media wanted to jump in, and I, I don't have a, a first name for you, just a screen name. Um, oh, it's Kevin. I'm sorry. Kevin – um, go ahead and jump in. We've got a, just a minute, and then I need to get into my opening article. Yes, and thank you very much, Hatton, for inviting uh, myself and Arian Knight. We also uh, just got off our show a couple hours ago, so uh, this is an issue we've discussed, and and I appreciate what your callers are saying, but the kicker is this is uh, Title Seven and so on are protections against discrimination. This is the slippery slope where we have, and I'm not a lawyer nor am I playing one on TV, obviously, or radio, where we actually, yeah, couldn't resist, where we actually have private business refusing to do business with someone, which last I heard in this free market economy, we're able to do. I don't know if I'm confused about that. Well, and, and that's, that, that's the that's a lot of what's been challenged and and honestly that's why I've said that's why I said you're 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 gonna start seeing some retribution cases come up at some point in time. There have already been anecdotal um you know recordings of people going into Islamic bakers uh and going into you know you know trying to going into bakery bakeries that are obviously not Christian pushing for some kind of Christian message and being refused. Now, those have not culminated in any kind of legal action. The difference is, and, and this, is a, this is a key difference, and I said this a, a couple of minutes ago, and I don't know if you were on the call at this, at this point, but what I said no, was, I 
Uh, no, 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 no. You're absolutely. Um, what I had said was the, and we've said this on previous shows, the actions, the legal actions that have been taken against businesses refusing service have been targeted attacks. These are people that are going into comp businesses that are loud and, uh, you know, kind of, that are extremely vocal about their stance on a situation and, you know, so they're going in, and then when service is refused, they're being, um, they're, they're they've got the lawyer on the phone. Well, for, I, I, for think, a, I think it's I think it's more than targeted attacks. Uh, they're cleverer than uh, the people on the other side are. Um, anybody can walk into a Muslim bakery and ask for a crucifix on a cake and get in trouble. What mm-hmm. the, yeah. what other people have been doing, frankly, from the other side is is judge shopping. They look. They look for a judge, and hopefully, a couple of judges above that guy, as they work their way up to the Supreme Court, that are probably Obama appointees. That they know they're going to win the first two or three rounds on it, and so they go to the jurisdiction that has a judge that they know will support them, and that's where the attack take pl- takes place. Now, okay. if if we want to be clever, we would find a Muslim bakery uh, that is within the jurisdiction of a very conservative judge, a family values judge, and, and, and let's target that guy. Well, what's interesting is is that uh, when the whole you know baking cakes com- conversation started, um, there was uh, somebody that went to a number of bakeries in Dearborn, Michigan, um, which is a highly Muslim town and tried to get same-sex wedding cakes made. Mm. And uh, to, a, to a number, every single one of them refused. You know, they, they said, well, I, I want to I get, get a, a wedding cake made for my friends. They're getting married, and they don't have a cake yet, and I want to I go ahead and order one for them. And the guy would say, okay, great, yeah, we can do that. They'd say, you know, the names are, are um, you know, Adam and Steve. <laughs> boom, boom. Oh, no, 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 yeah. we can't do that. And, you know, honestly, and this kind of leads into my first story. Um, now, for those that haven't listened to this uh, this podcast before, I try and I love to open with fun, funny, or interesting stories. And I checked that this one wasn't on the onion. This one is so far out there that it, that, that it, it, it could be on the onion. And that is there was a gay pride parade in New York City. And a New York Times reporter noticed a group of men wearing the fringed Jewish prayer garments and holding anti-gay signs in a barricade by the parade. The men were holding signs reading, Judaism prohibits homosexuality with the logo of the Jewish Political Action Committee. These men were plainly Hispanic. Mm. They were Mexican laborers protesting because they were paid to protest because they were hired by a group of Orthodox Jews to protest at the Gay Pride Parade because the, the Jewish rabbi said that they, I mean, and the, the pack readily admitted that they hired these men because that they claimed that they were filling in for younger men who would normally protest. But the rabbis said that, that the yeshiva boys couldn't come out for this because of what they would see at the parade. 
Not well, only that, it was on a Saturday and it was the Sabbath. Well, you can protest on the Sabbath. That's not something that you normally do in the temple. The the prohibition of work for Orthodox Jews prohibits work that would would have been done in the temple. Mm. And protesting, unless you're counting, uh, unless you're counting the flipping of the tables by by Jesus, isn't something that normally happened in the temple. I guess their previous job, these these Hispanic uh, entrepreneurs, probably was protesting in front of a McDonald's. And before they, that, and before that, Chick Fil A. It could have been. I mean, these could be professional protesters. Their well, latest, are. their latest employer of record is the Jewish Political Action Committee. And, and before and the, that, it was the AFL CIO or the team. And, and the picture, if you follow the picture on the link in, in the article, and by the way, the articles for everything that we're talking about, um, whoop. Well, it used to be. Um, see if this thing comes up. Oh, the image is gone now. They've removed it. Um, but the picture looks hilarious. This reminds me of an episode of The Big Bang Theory, where Sheldon, the, one of the lead characters, wanted to bring about world peace, or peace in the Middle East, by creating, recreating the Holy Land in Mexico. Oh, that would have been that would have been an interesting trick. That that would have been an interesting trick. Now, um, the other the other side effect, and you know, um, Kevin, you mentioned the slippery slope here. Mm-hmm. Um, when when the proponents for repealing what was it? Oh, what was that? What was it in California? Something eight, Sec- not section Pro- eight, proposition eight. Pro- Proposition eight. So when the when the opponents of Proposition eight um, started their campaign, there were a lot of people that came out and said, you know, if you start going down this road, you are going to open up the debate for other varieties of 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 marriage. Um, and you know, a- anecdotally, there's there's already been articles of of men jokingly marrying their dogs. Um, and, you know, there's, we had one article, what was it, three or four weeks ago about a, an adult woman who found her father and said, I want to, I want to have his babies. And I want to be married. I want to be married I, and do that. I found a picture for you from the New York times. I posted in your chat room. Okay. Thank you. Um, but now, the polygamists are starting to talk about it again. There is a man based on the minority opinion that was written um, um, that that was uh, was it Judge Roberts? Yes. Um, on this last yeah. one. Yeah, the the, the Supreme Court. No, Justice John Roberts said in his dissent. Um, that people in polygamous, polygamous relationships could make the same legal argument that not having the opportunity to marry disrespects and subordinates them. So a man and his one legal wife, one not legal wife, want to make it all legal in Montana. And this is this is part of that progression of change. If 
if the decision on same-sex marriage is all about love, then who is anyone in the federal or state government to deny three people that love each other or four people or five or however many to have some kind of legal contract binding them together in some concept of matrimony? You know, we we talked about this, I think, even last week. First of well, all, we didn't talk about I, anything last week. You mean well, the week before. before. Week before. It, mm-hmm. Let's. I'm going to regurgitate what I said two weeks ago. Um, this isn't about love. This is about the right to to uh, perfect a contract. And it has nothing to do with love at all. And I and I think we are moving towards what I, I mentioned is the system in Mexico and Panama and other places where the the marriage ceremony is separate from and it has absolutely no relationship to the civil part of the ceremony. If you get married in Panama, you go down to the, a judge and you get married civilly. And then if, mm-hmm. if, if you're religious, religious, then you go to the church of your choice and they perform a religious ceremony. They have nothing to do with each other. The The... Civil ceremony isn't even called marriage in many places. Uh, it's called marriage by the religious institutions, and I think that's where we need to go. And as long as we 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 basically ref, uh, reserve the religious act to churches, which are not in this country governed by the government. And we let the civil thing do that. That's a states' rights issue, and <clears throat> I think probably they're going to just decide. Look, it's a contract, and people can do contracts. Well, that was said last week on our show. Uh, Is that when I that when I ran at the mouth? Okay, that's, that's when it was. But right. <laughs> it was last week. <laughs> you got you got to look at it like this: when the United States got into the marriage business, it was right after the Civil War. They started issuing marriage licenses to prevent interracial couples. And that wasn't overturned until about the 1950s, 1960s. Now, before that, marriage as a union was only recognized by the churches. It was never really needed to be recognized by 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 the government because of the fact that you didn't have the perks that you do now. It was all all common law. There was no... It, yeah, you're right. It was all common law thing, it, and it was done by the churches and not done by the state. It was rare to have a justice of the peace back then married married to people. Before before you would go to your rabbi or your priest or your deacon or your reverend, That's and it. they would marry you all. occasional ship's captain. <laughs> yeah, but what have you. It wasn't until after the Civil War when marriage became a, an institution of the state itself. And that was to be a preventative measure because they, they wanted to decide who was going to get married and who wasn't. Now, to harken back on something that we touched on earlier in the show about the, uh, about the bakers and the candlestick makers not wanting to do uh, gay weddings, now that the, the gay lobby has won a major victory on the stage... They still need to have that perpetual victimhood. And 
what better to go after than the private business owners who do not want to be involved in a gay wedding? You have to keep the perpetual victimhood, or you will lose your clientele. So, yes, you're going to go after the bakers. You're going to go after the the um, the hotel uh, planners, the, um, the resort owners. You're going to go after anyone who's going to say, you know what, it's in my right as a Christian or a, a Jew or what have you to refuse you service because of your sexual relationship. So the trial lawyers are going to get involved, and, of course, the left is going to get involved saying that you're still a victim even though you have the right to get married, and we need to save you from your from all of these nasty Christians or religious folk that want to prevent your union, which is now legal within the United States. Well, and I, I guess, you know, as, as Larry mentioned, um, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a big push for um, that distinction. And, 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 I, and one of my confusions is in, you know, I got married in the state of Texas. And so we went to the county hall and got a marriage license, then had our religious ceremony, and then the then the pastor that married us and you know my best man and our maid of honor um signed as witnesses so that's you know, that's because in the United States clergy have two uh, sets of authority granted to them by two different institutions they have typically the authority to conduct the religious portion of the ceremony granted to them by the religious institution of which they are a member and the the civil authorities have delegated the right to the religious institutions to also confer the authority to do the civil part of the ceremony that's you know when when okay. when the deacon in the catholic church marries somebody it's a religious ceremony but the papers are filed by with the county clerk which has nothing to do with the church right and and in mexico again it's it's they don't mix the two if you want to get married and have it count you've got to do it in a civil place under a civil judge if if you wanted to get into the fancy book at the church then you go over to the priest or whomever and he does it again in his own manner and puts it in his book the records are kept in two different places they're absolutely separate from one another we need to go there or we're going to have this argument forever the biggest well, fear and, right and, now is and, that and 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 the biggest fear let me right jump, now is that let me jump in real quick are going to lose that right granted to them by the government there's already been a push in new york state that would Spitzer, Governor Spitzer. Yeah, you got you're right. Governor Spitzer, during his administration, wanted to take the power of marrying away from clergymen who did not support gay marriage. And he, well, he also wanted to remove the tax exemption from yeah. anybody who. And, and that was that was more the reason, not the. <laughs> so 
Anyway, Tola, you wanted to jump in, and I've got one last thing to say on this, and then I want to move on to um, the June jobs numbers. Thank you. Uh, first of all, it's interesting to note that since the decision, uh, Mississippi and I believe Texas have made uh, rumblings about just simply eliminating marriage licensing entirely, which would be legal under the ruling. Mm -hmm. And I would also like to observe that to me this whole situation is, is kind of reminiscent of an airplane. And as you may know, an airplane has a lot of safety systems on it, all designed to make sure the airplane doesn't crash. And what we have had with this uh, ruling is essentially the last safety system going, or, or failing, I should say. Mm. And that is what's going to lead to what, what I have no doubt will be a great many uh, lawsuits. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it is not right to blame the failure of this last safety system, which I and many others are the belief that should never have actually been there in the first place. But the question, to ask the question, why is it that all of the other safety systems, the notion that government is not around to enforce private businesses must serve everyone no matter what, the, the idea that government is there to force so-called non-discrimination whenever it's convenient to whoever, whoever happens to be in power. When we got rid of that decades ago, that, that was the first big system failing, but it's always been people saying, well, we still have this other safety system. It'll, it'll be okay. And one by one, they fail until you get to this last one and then it opens the floodgates and people are one and, and people are wont to blame this last one when the the system has been failing for decades. And you have the people out there who want to reverse it and say, No, we have to go back to the way it was a month ago and that's completely missing the point because as I said, I, I'm of the school of thought that said we should never have had this as a safety system in the first place. And we have to look at the real root of the problems, that is, this over-reliance on government to make things fair in the view of whoever happens to be in power. Right, right, right. And that's, that becomes the, the question of, okay, who defines what is fair? Mm. So um, the, the next, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next article, um, because something else that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not surprised, well, I'm not surprised with the numbers. What I am surprised is that we're starting to see people actually saying more about this. And, and I actually, I shared an article from the National Review, but I heard the same tone and the same conversation on, of all places, NPR. And that is with the uh, jobs numbers that were released July 2nd, a solid 223,000 in June um, with a jobless rate that fell to 5.3% lowest since 2008. And normally you would expect the mainstream media, the, the, the folks on the left, to be jumping up and down for joy saying he brought it back down under 5 or you know down, down close to 5.1. Um, but everybody is pointing out the fact that the drop in the unemployment rate was due to almost half a million, 423,000 people leaving the labor force. The labor force participation rate fell to 62.6%, which is the lowest rate 
since 1977. In actuality, the jobless rate is not 5.3%. It's not not. 12% like the, uh, or 10% as the G6 number will indicate. The real jobless rate is about 42.99%. And that that is including people that that can work that are that are not participating in the labor force for whatever reason either they've given up they've gone back to school they're living they've decided to take early retirement whatever i on a daily basis i will see young men and young women of working age and capable of working who do not work because they do not have to the government decided long ago that they were going to buy votes by giving people the incentive not to work. And that is indicative of the society we are in today. Because if you do not have to work, and the government will give you everything, what incentive do you have? Now, it's wonderful for the government to trump these numbers up every four weeks or every month, but in actuality, if you go into communities, and you see that the people are not working and that they, A, do not have a job that they can find or do not want to work because they do not have to. It's almost dismal at this point. The true unemployment rate is nearly 50%. Part of what what is, is interesting is I am hearing anecdotal stories of people that cannot find good qualified employees. I think even Larry can attest to this. I know that I know that the clients that I work with at, at where I work have said we can't find anybody. You know, we've got jobs, we can't find anybody. And that's because there's not good eligible candidates. You know, I'm guessing that businesses in Colorado and in Washington state can't find good employees, you know, are having a hard time finding employees. Mainly because while they legalized recreational use of marijuana, the, the, the laws specifically state that employers can still fire you if you fail a drug test. So yippee for, yippee for them, but uh-oh. They don't care. I mean, very frankly, they weren't looking to get a job in the first place. Well, that's true, too. That's you know, and, and very frankly, our, one of our biggest problems in my business is that we tell people up front, even in our advertisements, that they got to pass a drug test for employment. Uh, we still get people try to come in and bluff it, and and you know that if they haven't completed a drug test within two weeks after they get there, they're escorted out, and you know it's not a an unknown occurrence at my company where after two weeks, the guy comes is called into the conference room and he says, well, I guess my time's up. I'll see you. You know, and he, and he got, got two weeks pay. Yeah. So Pat, yeah. it's a serious I'm gonna, problem. I'm going to bring in another guest caller. Um, Eric um, has a comment on the European and uh, make, make sure I'm saying this right, Eric, um, a European method to combat unemployment. 
Yes, sir. <clears throat> I'm talking specifically about Germany, where I spent more than 20 years. I learned their political system, their tax systems, and how their employment system works. They have you set up since the ninth grade of education with what is going to happen to you the rest of your life as far as employment. They give you a entry-level exam. If you pass that exam, you go on to further education. If you score low on that exam, you are placed into an apprenticeship program where you'll have job placement under an apprenticeship program. It's called Berufsschule. Yes, Berufsschule und Gesundheit, also Gymnasium. And uh, what happens is you work 40 hours a week plus you go to school. You are at below minimum wage for the first four years during your apprenticeship. And we're talking everything from a cash register attendant to someone who works at a toll booth all do the same four-year apprenticeship program. And if you get high enough scores, you go on to the gymnasium, which is an additional four years of school. And at the end of that four years, you can be placed into another apprenticeship program since you scored high enough not to be placed in the original ninth grade education apprenticeship program, such as a lab assistant or a dental technician. These are more technical jobs because you've now completed 12 grades of school and you will go into another four-year apprenticeship program after the 12th grade. If you score even higher at the end of that 12th grade of school, you will go on to Freie Universität, which is the free university. It is paid for by the government, and you attend college or university to pick up degrees in more technical fields and or medicine uh, fields that require actual four to six years of study. And those are all paid for by the government because you've proven you have the educational uh, knowledge and background that you can absorb what they're trying to teach. Now, at the end of that 12th grade of school, you don't make it. You still have that apprenticeship program. So you are placed into a job, say a cash register. It took you four years to go through that apprenticeship program. You're going to find a job at any location that has a cash register. But that is your skill set for the rest of your life, unless you want to go to another four-year apprenticeship program to work at a different type of job. So this person right. working at McDonald's is earning a living, and he is getting paid an equivalent salary for a four-year education in higher learning because he went through that four-year apprenticeship program, and that's, well, that's and, how they're combating unemployment. Well, and and that's that, that does make sure that you have people – trained and ready for a career, translating that, you know, and, and transitioning that into a U.S. system would be very challenging. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, uh, and, let, let's step back a step. What, wait, wait, yeah. what, what he just described is a, essentially a merit-based system, whereas in the United States, we have a money-based system. Once, once right. you get out of high school, it's all about the money. And you got to borrow uh, and, and spend the next 15, 20 years of your life paying off your your college debts. That's not true in Germany. No, I it, lived there myself for a while. Yeah, uh, it's free. Well, it's free. Yeah, but, it, but you got to qualify. You got to qualify. Yeah. Here, if yes. your daddy's got enough money, you can buy your way into any freaking college in the United States, and, and and you can coast. You can take you know the, the all these. 
easy courses and spend eight years doing it, and you're you know the money's there. Germany, you don't get in unless you've got you've qualified. Yeah, regardless of how much money you have, it doesn't matter if you exactly. are not Actually, of what, a degree to be there. A system that has been around for hundreds and thousands of years. You have the apprenticeship <laughs> programs and all of this. Actually, America had these apprenticeship programs. Uh, one famous name would be Paul Revere. Paul Revere yeah. started learning. He became an, an apprentice, a silversmith apprentice, to his father when he was a young age. And then he became right. a silversmith in his own right. Was it child labor that killed it? or who? It was the, the union who killed it. They well, killed the apprenticeship the concept? 18, the 18th the whole, yeah, the, the whole, basically they, they killed the guild system because the, um, the the mechanism for getting the rising up within the, the corporate, the, the, wherever you work, the place of work, was not controlled by them. The, um, the stooges preferred to be able to pick and choose the winners and the losers in their union and the, the apprentice journeyman master process blocked that or or, or complicated yeah. it, so they killed it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in I'm, I want to jump to the next article. I'm gonna throw in one word that was a single word comment from um, a listener in Second Life, and that is right now we have fun employed um, yeah. because they're unemployed and they're having fun. Um, now, for those of us that are are employed. The Department of Labor and the Obama administration are working to try and achieve one of those campaign promises that they made um, that specifically addresses who is and who is not considered exempt from overtime and what is considered minimum salary. Now, if you're an hourly employee right now, you get somewhere above your state's minimum wage. If you are a salary employee, you have to make you, you do, you're not qualified for overtime, which hourly employees are, but you have to make a minimum salary according to the Department of Labor that is 75 times whatever the hourly minimum wage is in your state per week. So in New York State, for example, it's like 656 something per week that you have to make. If you're making less than that, you are not making minimum salary and your employer can't actually um, be penalized for that. Now, the Obama administration, Obama himself has said that he wants to see it go up, see the minimum, the salary go to over $1,000 per week. Not something that has been highly trumpeted, it is something that has just recently come out, is this this new round of government intrusion into how much wages are. We want to see the minimum salary go to, I believe, 1040 a year. As my wife just said, how about, how about we get the economy working better so we don't have to get paid so much? Um, Hmm. Yeah. You know, the other thing that is happening is the overtime regulations that have been 
um, that have been put in place by the Department of Labor um, extend mandatory overtime payments to people who earn 50440 annually or less. The current threshold is 23660 So, in effect, it raises the minimum exempt wage to that 50440 without even having to sign anything. So this is this is yet another one of those promises that um, that Obama's trying, you know, that the Obama administration is pushing. And you have to ask yourself because these are salary employees. Salary employees, with with some exceptions, generally aren't unionized, are they? No. You know, teachers are. But, you know, so your federal salary workers might be. But so this isn't a push by the unions. So what does this create? Does this create more companies between the Affordable Care Act? Now, the employer, we have to remember also what's coming up in 2016, the employer obligations for the Affordable Care Act kick in. Because up to this point in time, the pen and the phone have extended the delay on implementation of the employer portion of the Affordable Care Act. This is a way for the Obama administration to take care of the salaried employees to make them victims as well. You already have the unions who are taking care of the hourly workers, and they have been perpetual victims since the unions were formed. Now it's the Obama administration going fighting for the salaried employees, saying that, oh, they should have overtime too, even though, if you, for the most part, if you are a salary employee, you are a contract employee, meaning that you sign a contract that this is what you're going to make per year and that you are going to work as many hours as we see fit for you to be salaried. Mm-hmm. Also meaning if you do not work, you're still getting paid on your day is off, unlike hourly employees who must be at work for them to get a paycheck. Yeah, but I ask the, a the, the, go ahead. Go ahead. I he, you've mentioned um something that was kind of interesting. Um that there to make them victims. What and I'm curious what that really means. I mean do you do you, well, forgive me Hatton, do you mind me asking this? No, no, that's that's fine. I'm just um okay, I don't know. I don't know in this case. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joseph. Go ahead. I'll say it like this. The whole basis for liberalism in this country, the whole basis for the Democratic Party in this country is the premise that they need perpetual victims. They need victims of all aspects, be it the gay marriage issue, be it blacks, be it homosexuals, be it the world, they do need victims to perpetuate their cause. Mm. If they they do not have them, then they are a failed party. Mm. Yeah, because, and and, and to Joseph's point, when you look at voting trends over the years, the the black vote when JFK um, pushed to have Martin Luther King freed during the Civil Rights Movement of 1963, 64, 
um, the black vote shifted to the Democrat Party in a, in a large way. And since then, the social programs that have been created and the, the working programs that have been created have, of the surface, been written and been presented to help a particular demographic. And this could be said for in any subset that thinks they need the help. But the problem is, is that it's never quite enough and it doesn't empower them. You know, Eric's comment about the the using about the German system and how it prevents unemployment. You know, there is a subset, and it's not. It is in some cases based on demographic. It's it's a demographic subset that trends to certain racial characteristics and trends to certain geographic characteristics. Your your mm-hmm. urban minorities. Mm-hmm. That is that is one thing that can mathematically be proven. Yeah. Those and just, those characteristics are referred to by some as a as as a as a demographic of victims and the mm-hmm. perpetual victim. When you have in New York State, one of the things that they have just pushed through is an extension of rent control. Mm-hmm. And that is that, that and I don't live I don't rent in New York State. I live in New York State. I don't rent in New York State. I don't live in an area that has rent control to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, in New York City, you have you literally you have apartments that are that are carrying a certain demographic over generations because of the social program known as rent control. Mm-hmm. Um, they're called the ghettos. <laughs> well, in some cases they're called ghettos. In other cases they're they're section they're referred to as Section Eight housing um, project. You know, and and it hits. And and what's interesting is is in some cases you can't just say that it's it's all blacks or it's all Hispanics or it's all this or it's all that because it's not. Yeah. You know, it, it truly is not. Um, There's a lot now, of disempowered people. They, yeah, exactly. That's that is a good word for it. You know, if you don't want to use the victim word, disempowered is a very good word for it, because you know they haven't been. There are individuals that are not either be either by their own either by their perceptions or their social influences put themselves in that 43% of the unemployed column. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It can be. It can be. Now, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to the next article, and we're, we're going to talk about our friend Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> We, we we've we've talked about things that were promised and that were pushed either in 2007 or, two, or 2007 2008 or in 2012 um that that were pushed by either Obama you know the 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 same sex marriage thing has been being has been pushed by candidates on the left you know for a long time now i i want to jump into the campaign promises we're already starting to hear 
about um, what we're what we're already starting to hear from the 2016 candidates. Bernie Sanders has said point blank, if elected president, he would raise taxes. Now, That's what we need. Yeah. Well, here's here's a couple of things, and, and folks that have listened to the show in the past or the previous show, which was the East Coast Conservative Podcast, you will hear you will have heard me say. Presidential candidates can sit on a stump and talk about how they're going to raise taxes or create jobs or spend this or tax that. Um, Larry, remind me here who uh, who actually passes the spending bills. I think I lost Larry. Joseph? Congress. Congress. Hmm. Congress passes the spending bills. A sitting president, no matter how big of a pen or how big of a phone he has, cannot raise baseline taxes. Mm-hmm. They can, they they can, you know, wheedle with numbers, but the only time they get a chance to even propose taxes is on their proposal for the budget, which then goes before the full the House and Senate to be to be debated and passed or not. Um, so Bernie Sanders can sit there and say, I'd raise taxes. Um, Sanders complained of oil subsidies, companies stashing revenues overseas to avoid taxes, and billionaire investor Warren Buffett's secretary paying a higher tax rate than he does. He says he would substantially raise taxes. This is Bernie Sanders placating to his base. And for the most part, people who are going to Bernie Sanders' campaign rallies are not the most educated of American voters. Mm. And for the most part, most of them are not even in the workforce. Mm. These are people who are saying, oh, yeah, let's, let's take it to the rich or the middle class or the ones that have the money so we can get more free stuff from the government. And, of course, Bernie Sanders, who is a devout socialist, who is going to say, I am going to raise taxes so those evil people who actually earn money will lose their money, so we'll give it to you so we can get your mo- get your votes. Yep. Yeah, uh, he said Hat- that. Yeah. Hatton, I'm, wonder- I'm wondering if I could just make a quick statement. A quick statement, then I've got, to, I've got to wrap up because we're almost out. We're almost okay. out of time. Very quick statement. NSM, our parent organization, does not agree with Bernie Sanders. He is not quite the socialist we would hope to have in America. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and Kevin, your your show is um, is obviously I, a different political bent. Um, but than, not too far from you guys. Not too far, believe it or not. Well, and and you know that's that's one of the beauties. We can sit down and, and have a chat without yelling at each other and screaming at each other and calling each other nasty names, which is always a wonderful thing. I want to thank everybody for being a part of the show. Kevin, Eric, enjoyed having you on. Everybody, thank you for being a part of the show. If you liked what you heard, we ask you to blog about us. Thank my you, sir. Cat running with, and my cat running with a bag <laughs> stuck to his head. Um, we will. We ask you to blog about us. Tell five of your friends. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at EC Conservative. Um, if you didn't like what you heard, well, you know what? We're still going to invite you to join us next week because you will hear different words in a different order. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, Chuck.